Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back for the pilot episode of Intervals Season 2 on American History and Global Perspectives. This is Christopher Brick, and I want to extend an especially warm welcome and huge thank you to Dr. Hasya Diner, the great historian of American immigrant life and scholar of Judaic studies at New York University, where she is the Paul and Sylvia Steinberg Professor of American Jewish History. She is also, again, our featured guest lecturer today. The title of this talk is Immigrant Politics in America, Tying the World Together. And here she is, Professor Hasia Diner. Immigrants have played a very important role in tying the world together, tying uh, the United States to the larger world, and tying that uh, larger world to the United States. We might think of this as a two-way process. There are many ways in which we can think about immigrants as being important agents in this tying the world together with the United States as the uh, central node, uh, at least for the purposes of this uh, talk. We can think about it in economic terms, and I'm certainly going to make some mention of that in a few minutes uh, as well. But uh, the focus here today is on the political aspect of immigrant politics in America, tying the world together. America to the world, the world to America. So uh, let's begin first by saying that uh, immigrants who have been coming to the colonies uh, before the United States and after the creation of the new nation with the adoption of the Constitution, America has been shaped by the constant flow of uh, women and men on, uh, we might say, a somewhat voluntary basis coming uh, to uh, America from someplace else. I should say that in the context of this talk, I'm really not going to be looking at all at the women and men who were forcibly brought um, to the Americas under the aegis of the uh, forced um, slave trade. There was a different story. But in all uh, Europeans and people from Asia, people from other parts of the Americas, that is the Caribbean, South America, really from uh, all over the world, all of them were immigrants. They may have come at different times under different circumstances, but they were all uh, people who, with some level of agency, with some level of uh, choice at their command, made the decision to come to, to the British North America and then to the United States to some region or city uh, within. So this is true from the 17th century into the uh, 21st. In that entirety, they have been involved with the politics of the uh, places they left, and they have, in the name of those places that they have left, been involved in the politics of America. Despite having moved to America, to um, the United States, and despite um, creating full communities in their new American homes, uh, despite their integration into American society, in one way or another, they um, maintained active connections to and showed tremendous interest 
in um, the political affairs or the economic affairs of those places that they uh, defined as back home. So that coming to America did not either sever their uh, emotional bonds with the places they left, nor did they sever the political bonds which uh, connected them to family and friends and the larger societies of the places um, that they left. So um, let me offer some examples from this long history and uh, some categories of analysis in terms of um, how they uh, structured their political engagements with uh, back home. So first, it's important uh, to keep in mind that they avidly followed the news from back home. For some, it was news that came to them uh, via letters. Uh, for others, and increasingly this is the case over the course of the 19th century and the 20th, they read the uh, press, they read uh, the newspapers from back home, or, and probably more of them in fact, read uh, the immigrant press, whether written in Chinese, Yiddish, Italian, Polish, Armenian, Spanish, every one of those languages, there was a press in the United States, and one of the purposes of that press was to track events back home and to keep the uh, women and men from those places up to date with what was going on. Many of those newspapers uh, took particular political stands towards some of the great struggles going on in their back home places, and they used the pages of the newspapers to whip up uh, support among people from China, Italy, Eastern Europe, South, you know, various places in uh, South America, uh, Japan, and so on, to whip up support for them for one political position or another back home. We could say that the larger the immigrant group, the more varied the press, the more political positions were represented. And those political positions were structured around not just American politics, but the politics of back home. And we might even kick that back a little and say their view of American politics was shaped by which American party, which American president, which candidate uh, running for uh, office uh, in uh, the United States was supportive of those uh, homeland uh, causes. So what were those causes and how did they play themselves out uh, in the United States? So many of the countries from which immigrants came were places that were involved in, we could call them movements for national liberation. This was true certainly for the Irish who came in the millions after the 1840s and their journey to America took place amidst growing politicization of the colonial relationship between England and Ireland, which uh, was essentially a British colony. Movements arose in the 1840s, the 1860s, in the 1870s, in the 1880s, and on into the 20th century about um, securing independence for um, Ireland. This, again, was a, uh, a cause in Ireland that is indeed goes back to the um, uh, end of the 18th century, but in the 1840s and beyond, it became highly political. It engaged the Irish in America over uh, 
what side should they take and who best uh, in Ireland would make for a meaningful resolution to uh, Ireland's colonial status. There wasn't any one solution. There were multiple parties, uh, multiple ideologies, multiple movements, uh, which sought to bring that about. And each one of them was represented by a newspaper in uh, the uh, United States. And so the Irish immigrants living in the United States were fully aware of what was going on in Ireland and uh, were able to act politically from their American homes, spurred on in large measure by their uh, ethnic press. They were able to express their opinions, Okay, whether in an informal way, but perhaps uh, more importantly, they were able to express their opinions by contributing money okay, to one faction, uh, one organization or another. And again, there were so many that we can't really even begin to specify them in, uh, in this talk. But uh, again, the Irish uh, readers of these newspapers did contribute large amounts of money to the political causes uh, that they believed in, that they agreed with, stimulated in large measure by uh, what they had read in the press. And I want to note that this actually goes on into the end of the 20th century uh, as uh, the troubles in uh, Northern Ireland consumed Irish Americans and using the press as well as other community uh, institutions, they sent money to sustain uh, the political movements. This was true of the Chinese in the United States also. And so the Chinese are also involved in the uh, era of the immigration, and which we know came to an end in large measure in the 1880s with the passage of the Chinese Exclusion Act. But there were still vibrant Chinese-American communities and the Chinese-American press uh, followed uh, flowering of Chinese nationalism, a nationalism that sought to liberate China from the old uh, dynasty to make it a modern democratic uh, nation. Then uh, starting in the 1920s uh, with the beginnings of Japanese invasion of China and uh, into World War II, the Chinese American press carefully monitored uh, the events and uh, it stimulated the uh, Chinese, Chinese Americans, many of whom were one or two generations already in the United States, to uh, contribute money for relief, as well as to uh, help finance uh, political movements uh, that were on the ground back home struggling uh, against um, the uh, forces at work. So uh, the tying uh, the world together through immigrant politics involved the pivotal role of the press in these ethnic communities. It wasn't just press that played a role, but almost all immigrant communities, Italian, Polish, Chinese, Cuban, East European, uh, Jewish, everyone uh, in those communities became places where back-home politics were discussed, lecturers, uh, political organizations, fundraising drives, drives to uh, collect uh, uh, medical care, medicine, or um, clothes, or food, 
and ship it uh, back home to their uh, friends, family, and fellow uh, Italians, fellow uh, Germans, fellow uh, uh, Chinese, and so on, who were uh, living through the tumultuous of, of affairs back home, again, be it uh, movements for national liberation, be it wars. Remember, many of the places from which the immigrants came were swooped up into uh, wars. I think this became most clear in the 20th century uh, with World War I okay, and World War II, which, as we know, were global wars. And that meant that nearly no place in the world was untouched by them. And so the Chinese in America, the Italians in America, uh, the uh, Jews in America were all involved in community events okay, in uh, Boston, Cleveland, Kansas City, Chicago, San Francisco, uh, really every place in the United States going to hear uh, speakers who had uh, witnessed firsthand what was going on. They uh, uh, were uh, uh, beseeched at those uh, speeches to open their pocketbooks, as it were, and contribute uh, to relief. The uh, uh, women and men from these various places living in the United States themselves belonged to clubs or organizations which reflected the back-home politics. And so they, uh, uh, those clubs and organizations became places where the affairs of their troubled homeland uh, were the subject of discussion. And uh, the leaders and members of these organizations were consistently asking themselves, what can we do to uh, have an impact on the political situation uh, back home? The uh, um, connections between the tying together between the immigrants uh, in the United States and uh, their homelands uh, uh, was uh, constant, it was uh, consistent, and there was no community, there was no immigrant uh, population uh, that um, did not uh, manifest that political concern and did not demonstrate that political uh, organizing uh, in order to uh, uh, maintain, to 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 stand up uh, for their homeland, to support their uh, kin, whether uh, real or uh, imagined, who were uh, living through these uh, tumultuous um, situations abroad. Okay, uh, notably, any number of immigrant populations in the United States had in their uh, midst uh, diplomats from their places of origin uh, in consulates um, spread all across the United States. And uh, immigrants in the United States often turned to, their, uh, to those consular offices in order to both uh, transmit uh, money or assistance to the people back home or to, in fact, deal with some of their own problems here in America. Uh, so uh, Mexican uh, uh, immigrants uh, in the Southwest frequently, when they felt they were being mistreated or were uh, being deprived of rights by uh, United States officials or by Americans, would go uh, to the Mexican consulate in uh, El Paso or uh, Tucson or Los Angeles 
and make uh, ask for that consul consular office to advocate uh, for them. So uh, Mexicans did this, Italians did this. Okay, uh, interestingly, in the uh, 1880s, uh, there was a, a particularly tragic uh, event where an, uh, 11 Italians were um, lynched in New Orleans, and the uh, um, it was the Italian consulate that came to their defense. Okay, uh, the uh, Chinese consulate in San Francisco. Uh, played a very important uh, part in the uh, uh, um, effort by the Chinese uh, in uh, not just San Francisco and not just California, but nationally uh, to somehow rectify uh, the difficulties uh, uh, imposed upon them by American uh, laws, which uh, certainly put uh, the Chinese in a very disadvantageous uh, uh, position. So that's another tying together through politics. Okay, now obviously for the um, uh, consular officials to come to the rescue, and by the way, many of the times they made, didn't succeed, but they certainly tried. But uh, in order for that to happen, uh, the uh, those immigrants who turned to the consular office had to be, in some ways, we might say, considered to be uh, acceptable to the government back home. They couldn't be uh, radicals or dissidents. And so that takes us to another aspect of this tying the world together, immigrant politics in America, which is sometimes the immigrants who came were dissidents, uh, who they were up in opposition uh, to the government uh, of their homeland. So uh, anti-fascist, uh, anti-fascist from Italy came to the United States and attempted to uh, draw attention of uh, the larger American public uh, to some of the horrendous uh, active actions of uh, the Mussolini uh, government. Cubans, both uh, when Cuba was still under Spanish rule, that is before 1898, and after um, the communist uh, uh, um, revolution and, and, and triumph um, in the early 1960s, anti-Castro uh, Cubans came to the United States. Uh, and uh, so those two are just two of many examples in which being in the United States for these dissidents who at home might have gotten imprisoned, might have been executed, certainly didn't have the freedom to speak out as they uh, wanted, uh, were able to use their place in America to advocate for change back home and to uh, advocate for, to engage in actions that would in some ways challenge the regime back home from which they had fled. Certainly the history of uh, Cubans in Florida since the Castro takeover has been very much dominated by that theme, but it was surely not the on only one. So the uh, immigrant politics in America was uh, facilitated by the fact that for the most part, uh, people could come to the United States and express whatever opinions they wanted, even when those opinions, by the way, 
uh, contradicted or were um, at odds with American foreign policy, um, they were still free in the context of American guarantees of uh, um, free speech and the freedom uh, to uh, assemble, uh, they were free to write, speak, okay, uh, organize uh, with the expectation or with the hope of uh, undermining a, a, a government back home that, that they found oppressive. Okay, America um, uh, was a place of tying the world together through immigrant politics, also involved um, immigrant populations which uh, were very much supported by their back home governments. Okay, uh, many of those back home governments really liked immigration to the United States. And you can say that they liked it uh, on uh, several levels. And one thing they liked about it is that immigrants from the beginning of the nation's history to this very day in 2022 um, have sent back vast amounts of money in the form of remittances to their uh, families, to their friends, to their communities, as well as to uh, institutions back home. And um, on some level, that meant that uh, um, the governments, their, their, the governments of the places they left, benefited from uh, the hard currency that the immigrants were sending back, as well as they could take the position: well, we don't really need to uh, deal with all the problems of poverty, all the problems of uh, facing our people, because their relatives who are already in the United States are doing what uh, we might say a state uh, ought to do, although that was certainly not necessarily a belief that the state ought to do that. But uh, that was, again, using connecting America, the immigrants, and in that case, uh, the politics of um, not so much America, but the politics of back home. Now, uh, so much of what the uh, immigrants did politically and uh, what, what they did politically vis-a-vis -vis their place of origin, um, their back home, was uh, dependent upon their access to the United States government. So what I'm meaning by that is that for many of these uh, foreign governments, as well as political movements that played out um, uh, in other countries and other parts of the world, uh, looked to the U.S. government to somehow uh, come, come on as an ally or to help. And um, the fact that uh, millions, many millions of Americans uh, had loyalty to Italy, Germany, Hungary, uh, really Mexico, wherever um, the uh, U.S. government was cognizant of the fact that much of the electoral base in the United States uh, was made up of uh, people who, who themselves had come from these places or whose um, uh, immediate ancestors had, and they felt the need to respond. So this obviously reflects the fact that uh, uh, presidents, uh, senators, government, governors, city council members, members of Congress, and the like are elected. And uh, therefore, when they would be on the campaign trail, for the most part, they reached out to these various uh, immigrant uh, communities and um, made promises essentially 
we will, if you elect me, I will stand up for your homeland causes. Okay, If you vote for my party, you vote for the Democrats, or you vote for the Republicans, the party will champion your cause. Okay, uh, The party will make sure that the uh, needs and concerns of uh, Poles, Hungarians, Cubans, Mexicans, uh, Chinese, and so on, will get heard in the um, uh, highest uh, levels of um, uh, decision-making. So uh, the uh, um, fact and the reality that those who became citizens, those immigrants who became citizens and, uh, and, and took advantage of the votes, expended a good deal of their political capital to try to persuade American officials um, to sign on and stand up for, stand up in support um, of a whole array of uh, back home uh, causes. Now, they didn't necessarily succeed, but they certainly put American um, elected officials in a way uh, um, on their toes, made them recognize that they had to somehow uh, deal with the situation. So uh, very interesting. We can use it in so many different examples, but um, the case of the Irish provides a very interesting example of this in as much as um, the Irish in America, who were deeply involved in American politics, who really were masters almost of particularly municipal politics, um, uh, and um, became naturalized and voted in enormous number, consistently wanted the U.S. government to stand up for and support the cause of Irish independence. Okay? Uh, this became particularly acute uh, when Europe went to war in, 1916, in, in 1914, the world, First World War. Uh, in the middle of that war, um, the Irish Revolution breaks out, uh, Easter Sunday, 1916, and the Irish and the United States had not yet joined uh, the uh, allies in the war. And so um, the Irish in America want Wilson, want President Woodrow Wilson, to make conditional uh, on U.S. Uh, joining the war on the side of England and France, that is the allies, a support for uh, Irish independence. Wilson? You should say to the English, we'll join, we'll help you, but Ireland, uh, the Irish problem has to be solved, and it has to be solved by Irish uh, independence. Uh, the, uh, puts, uh, the United States in a very difficult position because the United States was an ally, to them, the allyship with Britain far outweighed in significance the uh, uh, pressure from uh, uh, Irish Americans. Okay. Um, another cause that uh, was uh, part of that grew out of that World War One situation, which was about tying the world together through immigrant politics in the United States, was the cause of Zionism. So uh, many American Jews uh, supported the idea of some kind of Jewish homeland in Palestine. They weren't necessarily calling for states, a state with sovereignty, but some kind of homeland. Uh, and um, they, in their political uh, dealings, in the press, in the lecture circuit, in the lobbying with uh, uh, government officials, uh, made that clear. 
And um, they were actually much more successful than the Irish in that Britain, in order to get the United States to come in on its side in the war, issued uh, what is famously known as the Balfour Declaration, 1917, which said that His Majesty's government favored the creation of a Jewish homeland in uh, Palestine. Um, so the fact that American Jews not all of them, but some of them use their political uh, clout, use their political pressure on uh, the Wilson uh, administration. And in this kind of moment where the United States had not yet entered the war and was kind of claiming that um, it, in fact, might not, uh, uh, that, that it would not uh, join the war effort, that um, uh, they were able to get out of uh, that um, situation a political, a global political goal, which um, they consider to be very much um, uh, in their favor and in favor of a cause uh, that they uh, held very uh, deeply, uh, that they believed in very deeply. The We can look at so many other examples of how immigrants in the United States used their voting power, a voting power that came to them through naturalization, how they used it to advocate for the causes of their uh, homeland. So I think this, by the way, tells us something very important because um, other than for um, those born in um, Asia who uh, were denied the right of naturalization, their children, by the way, were born as American. If they're Amer- their American-born children were citizens, but those born in Asia could never achieve uh, citizenship. They could not become naturalized. For all other immigrants, one of the uh, benefits of becoming naturalized and uh, participating in the political process was to be able to turn to their new government, the government of the United States, um, and um, to lobby with that government of their new home the causes and needs, as they saw it, of their uh, old home. Okay. Likewise, the United States government put uh, pressure of sorts on um, ethnic communities in the United States to try to influence policies uh, back home. Uh, Probably one of the most interesting examples of this is in post-World War II Italy, okay, um, there was a very strong um, communist uh, party, and uh, in a number of cities and regions uh, in those late 1940s elections, The Communist Party stood to make some really important um, uh, electoral, uh, uh, to to have some very important electoral victories. And uh, the United States, deeply enmeshed in a Cold War against the Soviet Union, uh, was extremely concerned that uh, Italy might go communist or enough of Italy might uh, go communist, uh, and that it would uh, really cause tremendous difficulty uh, in a uh, world in which behind the uh, Iron Curtain, that is the eastern part of Europe, was communist. Uh, On the other side, uh, the West, 
uh, was aligned with the United States, or as it was said at the time, was free. And the uh, U.S. government, uh, the U.S. State Department, communicated with bishops, Catholic bishops, and with uh, and other officials within the Catholic Church in the United States, asking that priests in heavily Italian parishes communicate with their friends and family back home and try to influence them to not vote communist. Okay, so here we have this really complex kind of tying together. U.S. government at uh, the level of the State Department wanted to prevent Italy from going communist. It did all sorts of things to try to do that. But one tactic, one weapon in their uh, arsenal, as it were, was to try to get Italian Americans to write to their friends and family back home to convince them not to vote communist. So here we see the world, or two parts of the world, really closely tied together through the politics of essentially two countries, the politics of the United States uh, and uh, the politics um, of uh, Italy. So um, in um, this uh, exposition, as it were, about how immigrants using their political persona in the United States, how they uh, used being in the United States as a way to be political and in the process tying the world together, took these many different paths. It involved the uh, active, uh, intense support in the United States uh, of uh, immigrants for and around their homeland struggles. Cubans, Armenians, Poles, Irish, Chinese, really every group, uh, when the need came up, organized through their community press, through their community associations, uh, through their uh, uh, on-the-ground fundraising uh, uh, networks to support the people back home or to support the causes back home that they favored. Okay? They weren't favoring all the causes. They were favoring uh, particular causes. Secondly, in this tying the world together through immigrant politics in the United States, we uh, see how the political world or the political actors back home recognize the importance of those immigrant communities in the United States uh, and um, sought to advocate for them uh, and to enhance their political um, stature uh, in America uh, by using uh, the uh, uh, um, offices, the power of that uh, back home uh, government. Okay, so too during the great uh, world upheavals and for the really uh, the two most important uh, were World War I and World War II, um, the uh, role of the immigrants in the United States as they sought to influence uh, the uh, politics of the United States to do something to favor their homeland, to solve uh, the acute suffering during wartime of their people back home, again, shows that kind of tying together of immigrants, American politics, world politics, and those many back home places. 
so we cannot understand American politics without understanding the role of immigrants and their children as they advocated for their um, for the places they left, regardless of what movement, what catastrophe, uh, what uh, circumstance uh, we're dealing with. They all did it. And on the other hand, we can't really talk about um, those places that they left okay, without thinking about how those places, ordinary people, governments, uh, recognized that they had to marshal their people um, on uh, this side, as it were, of the Atlantic, or this side of the Pacific, to create uh, some uh, new realities on the ground. So in conclusion, immigrants in the United States, recognizing the power of the U.S. government, recognizing uh, the um, power of the vote, made their voices heard despite having left uh, all sorts of countries around the world and the uh, distance between themselves and the places they left were shrunk by means of this transnational political action. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And please join us again next time when Carrie Ann and I will sit down with Professor Hasia Diner for the Q&A. Please join us.